turn with me over to the book of 2 Corinthians. We're going to um, continue our series on the faith to move forward, faith to move forward. The title of this message today is Faith to Move Forward, Leading with Your Mouth. Faith to Move Forward, Leading with Your Mouth. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 14. Paul is writing, and he says, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Verse 10, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Verse 12, so death works in us, but life in you. But having the same spirit of faith according to what is written, I believe, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we also speak. Verse 14, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. Lord, help as we study. Three points I'd like to highlight regarding this passage. One, the treasure, and two, the trials, and three, talking. The treasure, the trials, and talking. Paul writes out of his own experience quite a bit. He doesn't base all of his theology on that through which he has gone, but he weaves a lot of his own life into the reality of what it means for us to live best because he becomes the example of how we ought to live and that he's done it really well. And there are very few people who have ever gone through that which Paul went. Just like, wow. If you turn to Second Corinthians 11, he details at least some of the stuff through which he went. He says, I've been shipwrecked three times. One time, a day and a night adrift out in the sea. We have that one recorded incident in the book of Acts. The other two we don't have. So other bad stuff happened to Paul in boats. <laughs> he says, I was beaten with a lash 39 times, each time I was beaten, five times by the Jews. Wow. He says, I was beaten with rods once. We think that was by the Romans because the Romans did some things with rods, though the Jews also had some things with rods historically. If you look in the Mishnah and other corroborating texts from the Old Testament writ, you'll see that there was a penalty for anybody who was an apostate Jewish believer, meaning somebody who believed in, in the Old Testament and Mosaic Law and Yahweh, and then became a Christian. They considered them apostate and those who needed to be expelled from the Jewish community. And if you had married somebody who was in line with the Jewish faith of the law, then that father of that bride that you married was responsible to come and take his daughter back, and then you were beaten with rods. So that happened at least once. And then he said he was stoned. That's a bad day. Now, the, 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 the wild thing is that it, it's one of these things where you go to somebody and say, so how was death? 
Because if you're stoned, that's, that's execution. All the others were punishment. Stoning was execution. So somebody, and there are very few people that try to execute somebody in government fashion and fail. The whole point is to kill the person. So you have to say to Paul, so how was death? And his disciples, when he was stoned, actually thought he was dead. You find this in the book of Acts. They stoned him outside of a city called Lystra. And they stone, you pick up stones and you literally throw them at the guy. And you try to hit his head as many times as possible. Until he is unconscious. And when he is unconscious, then you drop bigger stones on his head to crush his skull so that he dies. That's the process. The people who love the the party who's being executed, obviously, are compassionate about him and would hope he would survive. But nobody ever survives stoning because it is the method of execution for the Jewish people. The disciples so think Paul is dead that they take him outside the city for the purpose of burying him. That's what it says. And when they get him outside the city, it's one of these. <laughs> Whoa, that was rough. And then he says, let's go back into Lystra. Dude, who are you? And then, just, just to round it out, talking about difficulties, he's just giving you, he's just giving you a few, few highlights of his worst moments. We don't have everything. He says, beaten without number. Times without number. He can't even remember. He was beaten so many times, he can't remember how many times it was. You talk about a man. And you say, wow, we don't see this from Peter. We don't see it from James. We don't see it from John. We... Paul, what were you thinking? I mean, wasn't there a better way maybe to present the gospel? Weren't there people that were more receptive? Why did you always have to go headlong into stuff? But see, part of Paul's call was what he would have to suffer. Couldn't get around it. Ananias, to whom was given the responsibility of going to Paul after Paul met the Lord on the road to Damascus and then prophesying to him about what was to come in his life, said this, God told Ananias, when you see him, go tell him all the things that he must suffer for me. That's not necessarily the happiest prophetic word a brother can get. That was day one of his Christianity. Wow. But Paul cared very little for his own life. He wasn't a masochist. He wasn't trying to figure out how to make it difficult. He wasn't just finding tough things to do and say, well, I'm going to buck up to prove how, how much I love Jesus, and I'm going to go into this environment even though they don't like me, and I'm just going to take it on the chin so that I can bear my marks for Christ. It wasn't that. It was that he saw the people on the other side of the suffering that needed to be touched with the gospel. And he said this, that difficulty through which I, I go, I don't like it but it doesn't matter. I'm going anyway, because when I get on the other side, people are going to be better. What did, he say? what did he say? So death works in me, but you get life. Life works in you. As a result of me going through difficulty like this, something happens on the inside whereby more of Jesus comes out and you benefit. I wouldn't prescribe this as the preferred recipe, he says, but this is my life. And so he talks about his earthen vessel, how fragile it is. 
And he said, there's a treasure down on the inside. And the goal is to get the treasure out. Whenever you put something into a vessel, the purpose of putting it in there is to someday get it out. Nobody pours stuff in, places something in, to leave it there forever and never to be used. It's for keepsaking. It's to gain interest in a bank. It's for a special moment where you bake, break out the bubbly. You do something really, you, you keep it for a purpose, but nobody pours in to leave in. It's always to be dispersed at some point. Whether it's money that you will leave to your children, it's going to be dispersed. Whether you're saving for a rainy day, it's going to be dispersed. Sorry is the person who saves all their money in the bank and dies and has nobody to give it to. We all think, what a waste. What was that for? Nobody puts it in to leave it there. Except Christians. We want God to pour into us and just go to heaven. We're not interested in pouring out. We're not interested in extracting the stuff that is in there and giving it to somebody else. And we surely aren't interested in any other way that the stuff might get out, like breaking the vessel. We don't want that at all. That's too painful. That's the stuff through which Paul went on a regular basis. I mean, he believed in the intentional pouring. He believed in the intentional extraction, putting your hand in and giving it away. But God took him through some stuff. Oh. I, you know, it's one of those you just pray and say, Lord, please, not me. I mean, I love you. I mean, I'll do anything for you, but not Paul's life. Uh-uh. Uh-uh, 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 uh-uh. I'd, I'd, I'd like, if, if, if I have to do it Paul's way, let it be once. <laughs> just once. I'll go out in a flame of glory and appear in your presence. But, you know, the... The stoning and then living through it? You mean I might have to go through that again? Eh. Paul was something. But the whole goal was to get the treasure out. And so he did not care for his own life. He said, I, God's put something on the inside of me and I've got to distribute it. And, dear Christian, or if you're not a believer, listen up because God's given you a stewardship. Even if you're not a Christian, God's given you a stewardship that you must be accountable for because every day you breathe his air. Every day you drink his water. Every day you live. It is an expression of his mercy on your life because he, he, is, he has been so kind as to not judge you for everything you've done wrong. Rather than always trying to figure out what God has not done right or how neglectful he's been because he didn't show up there at that tragedy, or didn't help in that cataclysmic event, or didn't assist in a process that seems to be very, very unfair, and we accuse him of somehow being neglectful or not caring. Rather than doing that, please understand, this is a God who is so merciful that he decided not to hurt you, not to bring down judgment on you for what you have done. And all of us have lived long enough to know what we have done wrong. Most of the stuff that we have done wrong, we don't even think is that wrong because there are so many things that we have done wrong that we really think are wrong. They're the big wrongs. 
They're the horrible wrongs. How we treated humanity, how we've hurt this person, how we've said wrong things here, how we've gossiped, how we've taken a, a truth and backbit and stabbed somebody in the, in, the, in the back. We've done those things, and those are the big things that we hope God will never judge us on. But then there are all the other things that we think, oh, that's not even worth it because, like, I knocked off a 7-Eleven. And that's the, that's the most important thing. But God lets nothing go outside of his purview. Nothing. The white lie. The lustful thought. The thing that you would like to do to somebody, but, but don't because of societal norms. <laughs> You're restrained by law. <laughs> when you've had a really bad day, it's 6 o'clock. You're on 66 coming home. Somebody, I mean, just cut you off. They, they did, it's not like they even put their blinker on. They didn't wave out the window and say, and you almost wrecked. Everything within you wants to follow them. You don't know what you're going to do when you get there. But that, that's what I'm talking about, that thing where you have to restrain yourself regularly from doing wrong. All those things, God says, I love you. I'm merciful towards you. I care about you because you're made in my image. I don't want to judge you. We ascribe so much neglect to God or lack of care, but we forget that he was, he's the only one who loved us enough to send the qualified to die on our behalf. Because nobody else was qualified. Everybody else had to die for their own sin. Jesus was the only one who could die for us all. And he didn't have to do it. As soon as you begin to, to ascribe neglect to God, remember, he cared about you that much. And if he never does a thing for you after that, that should be enough. Paul said, I got to get this treasure out because people got to they got to know they're dying in their sin. They got to know. And if it means I have to go through a bunch of junk to get it, okay. The treasure, it needs to be poured. It needs to be extracted. It needs sometimes to come out in ways that are unpleasant. However it comes out, it needs to get out. And so I'm asking you, with the treasure that's on the inside of you, what are you doing with it? How is it getting out? And he says it's hidden in earthen vessels. It's not hidden from you. It's hidden from everybody else. They're, they're waiting to see what's on the inside. And it's our responsibility to, to, let, to, to let them know. You know, there was a story that Jesus gave, a parable. A man who was a great steward over a lot of stuff, a ruler, went on a long journey. And he decided, when I go, I want my kingdom to continue to prosper and to be stewarded over well. And so he, he set in three stewards. One who had the ability to steward really, really well gave five talents. Another who had the ability to steward well gave two talents. And another who had the ability to steward, he gave one, each according to their own abilities. Now, a talent didn't have anything to do with how well you could sing. It was a unit of measure, 100 pounds of anything. And he said to each one, work with this until I go home, until I come back. And so their responsibility was to work. We don't know how long he was gone, but he was gone for a good period of time. The one who had five talents gained five more. The master said when he returned, great job. 
That's amazing. Well done. Come into the joy of your master. The one who had two gained two more. The master said, great job. Well done. Come into the joy of your master. The one who had one thought, ah, poor my master is really tough. And I know if I lose this money, he's going to be mad at me. So I think I'm just going to bury it in the, back, in the backyard. And then when he returns, I'll give it back to him. When the master saw what the servant had done, he said, you wicked and lazy slave. At least, at least you could have put the money in the bank and I would have gained interest. You who have this treasure, dear Christian, at least you can sow into the church, which is interest. At least you can do children's ministry. At least you can serve in the worship and song team. At least you can serve in youth ministry. At least you can pour into here. That's interest in the kingdom. At least you can do that. But if you are just coming and sitting and just being, biding your time to get to heaven, you're the one who's burying your talent in the ground. And now, it doesn't have anything to do with whether God loves you. He loves you. But you can love somebody all day long and never be happy with them. I want to hear well done. Because everything about the treasure that is on the inside of you that allows you to go to heaven is everything he did all by himself for you. What he's now asking is, would you participate with me in the progress of this kingdom? Because I'm trying to make the planet better. I'm trying to help people. I'm trying to fix stuff that's broken. And the best emissaries, workers I've got are those that understand who I am and have the treasure on the inside and can spread it to people who are poor. I'm not talking economically. I'm talking in every way. They are poor. And they need the treasure on the inside. How to do marriage well. How to do relationships well. How to think about their life and purpose and hope and what that's supposed to be like tomorrow. How to do life in every respect. They have no clue. You're the only one who's got the stuff on the inside that can help them. How do you pour? How do you extract? And what do you do when God comes to break the vessel so that it's poured out even if you didn't intend it to be? Now, I'm, <laughs> I'm one of those who's just hoping that if I pour and I intentionally extract, I won't have to go through the breaking near as much. <laughs> There's no correlation in Scripture that there is any relationship between how much you pour and whether you have to be broken. Paul was talking about all the breaking. But I'm hoping that if I pour enough that somehow I won't have to go through, because people are seeing the treasure when I do my regular. But I, I, I don't think that's going to work that way. Though we in America, you know, we, Western problems. I don't know many Christians that have actually experienced persecution in a biblical form here. Our persecution at best, and I'm not trying to belittle it because I know it's real. But our persecution at best compared to Scripture is inconvenience. It's inconvenience. So we haven't had the kind of breaking that Paul did. But there are moments when God causes circumstances to be those which are absolutely unbearable. At least it seems that way. And then we get to find out what kind of stuff's on the inside. Now, there's a treasure. But usually it takes some... some it takes some really specified x-ray glasses to see the treasure because there's so much other stuff coming out of you. 
Not many amens today. I, I get that. When the difficulty comes, what comes out? Lots of unsavory language, bad attitudes, things that you said that you wish you could take back, things you did, lack of trust in God, questioning where where are you, O Lord? What comes out? And the process of letting the treasure be that which is dominant whenever the vessel is broken, the process is one like the smelter has with the refining of raw ore into something that's workable in terms of a metal, that you get this, this massive rock. And in this earth, raw earth, there's all, all kinds of, of elements. You've got copper, you've got aluminum, you've got iron, you've got gold, you have silver, you have platinum, you've got gold. But it's all in one big rock or mass of earth. And what you do is you pour it into a smelter, which is a massive oven, and you take the, the, the stuff and you put it in a cauldron, and you allow at different temperatures the stuff you don't want to rise to the top because all the metals melt at a different stage of temperature. And so copper comes up. You take that up. That's called the dross, D-R-O-S-S. It comes to the top at a certain temperature. You take it off. Aluminum comes to the top at another temperature. You take it off. Silver comes to the top and another, until you get what you want. And if God turns up the heat in your life, because you're basically raw ore. You're real raw. There's gold on the inside. There's treasure. There's serious treasure. But it's mixed in with so much other stuff that he's got to make sure the other stuff is removed so that people can see the treasure. And so he turns up the heat. <sighs> Don't be mad at the heat. The heat is there to let you know the dross that needs to be removed so that the stuff that can remain will. You're still not saying amen. What do I need to do? What do I need to do this morning to help you? Help me. You go through stuff and there's no other way. There's no other way to get the purity of what God wants to show the world other than that. Now, you can be intentional about making sure that when the gold is on the inside that you know that they're shared, and you, you need to be. But I don't know that there's any other way around the difficulty. I just don't know. And we as Christians ought to be the people on the planet, at least the, the people on the planet who are best at dealing with difficulty because this is our portion. Don't be surprised when some fiery ordeal comes upon you. Peter says this is what we're supposed to do. This is how we're supposed to be. If they did it to the master, they will do it to the Servants, if, if, the, if the teacher went through it, so will the pupils. Difficulty is our portion. But the difficulty is allowing us the privilege of letting that which is on the inside, the treasure, be seen. We're going we're to show how Paul deals with his difficulty in a minute. But we were, I was in New York yesterday with my wife and, and, uh, and Daryl and Jewel. And we, we were having a blast, just a blast up there. We, we got an Uber. We were in Brooklyn, and we, we, we were going to, to Penn Station uh, for catch a train. And we got the guy, and the guy, Uber driver, came up. And first thing he said to me when we got in the car is, well, you know you're not going to make it. <laughs> we, he picked us up at 2, and we were supposed to be at Penn Station by 3 to catch the train. 
And he saw, you know, you have to input where you're going. And he, he asked me, so what time's your train? I said, three. He said, you know you're not going to make it. I ought to drop you off right now at the subway so that you don't blame me for, for you being late. That was my hello. That was hello. And I sat there and said, oh, he needs some truth. So I said, well, you know what? I believe God has appointed you to take us, so we'll get there on time. <laughs> that's the truth. That's, that, that's, exact, that's how I started. I said, we're going to change the, the narrative right now. God's appointed you to help us get there on time. And I believe you've got some ways that you don't even know yet. And he said, well, look at this. And he showed me on his app all the red long lines on the street, just backed up traffic. He said, no, you, you don't understand. This is this. You are not going to make it. I said, well, um, I believe God. He said, well, we'll hope for the best. I said, exactly. That's what I do. I hope for the best. And he had some really, really loud reggae music going on in the car. And when, when he found out we were believers, he switched it over to some, <laughs> to some Christian music. And so for the next few minutes, we, I, was just, I was just ministering to him. He was telling me his life story. I was encouraging him. all. And by the time we got to Penn Station, again, he picked us up at 2. He said we wouldn't make it. Our, our train was at 3. We were there at 231. 2.31. 2.31. Okay? Now, that doesn't have anything to do with Brett. But I wanted him to see what a traffic miracle looks like. <laughs> and he was blown away. I don't know how this happened. I don't know. I don't know how it happened. I said, God appointed you to help us. See, I've got to get back. My baby girl's coming back from Bosnia. I've got to see her tonight. Plus, I can't spend another night in New York. I've got to preach tomorrow morning. So I've got to get back today, and I've got to get on this train. And he was helping me by helping you. And now you know he can do stuff that you didn't think he can do. And can I pray for you in a minute? Because God wants to reveal himself to you. So I prayed for him. He didn't give us heart to Jesus because we didn't have time, time to leave. But he said, listen, when y'all come back, can you call me? Yes, he wants my money because I gave him a great tip. But, <laughs> but he wants the treasure. How do you intentionally pour? How do you intentionally pour? What do you do? To say it's more than about you. You've got to, you got to figure out how to do that. That's why it's in the container that it might be poured out. Now, Paul's not even talking about pouring here. This whole passage is about breaking. There's no systematic quarter cup. Okay, good. This is what's ever raw on the inside is going to be seen by everybody. And you want to make sure that you've done everything you possibly can when these moments come to go through the smelting process and getting the dross out so that when the difficulty comes at your workplace, people see Jesus on the inside of you. When your marriage is going south, your children see Jesus. They believe with you. You're standing in prayer with them. Everybody else is standing with you. When your health isn't what it should be, folks can understand, wow. They're going through a difficult moment, but they're trusting God every day. That's amazing. So Paul talks about his circumstances. He says this, I've been afflicted and perplexed. I've been persecuted and I've been struck down. Now that's the way most people, when you ask them how they're doing, we're really skilled 
at talking about our difficulty in such a way that it inspires great sympathy from everybody. We want people to know exactly through that which we are going and how hard it is. So they'll go, mm, mm-hmm, oh, yeah. Okay, well, I'll be in prayer for you. We don't want people to feel like it's not a big deal when we feel like it's a big deal. And so we're really good at explaining it and, if need be, embellishing or amplifying so that people really know and feel what we're going through so we get a little bit of empathy. But Paul's not into empathy. He's not looking for people to, to, to pat him on the back and say, oh, it, I know it's hard. He's looking for people to be inspired by his life, that his death, his flesh being desiccated, being destroyed, would produce something for somebody else. And so he lays out the example like this. Rather than stopping at the afflicted, at the perplexed, at the persecuted, and at the struck down, he says, I'm afflicted, but I ain't crushed. I'm perplexed, but I never despair because I know my God's with me. I can't figure out which way is north. I don't know where he is. It doesn't feel like he's any place around me. But I got hope every day. I'm persecuted. <laughs> and it feels like God ain't with me, but I know I'm not abandoned. He is with me. He is standing by me. He is encouraging me. And I want you to know I've been struck down. All these times that I've been beaten, 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 I got back up every time I got back up. Not because I pulled myself back up, but because God raised me up. He knows how to talk about his circumstances. And he says, when, I get, when, I, when, that, when that vessel breaks with me, people see something different. Now, if you stop, if you stop at the affliction, the perplexity, the, the persecution, and the struck downness, all you're doing is complaining. And you are concentrating on the facts rather than the truth. You're letting the facts determine who you are and how you ought to be. When there is a higher truth that ought to help you define how the facts ought to be related to you. The higher truth, Paul knew, God, who you cannot see, is superintending over my life. So I don't let these, these temporary circumstances define how I'm supposed to be. I'm not down in the mouth. I'm not complaining. I'm letting you know that through which I'm going. I'm not pretending like it doesn't exist. But what I am doing is saying I am applying the truth that I know to be who is my God. Truth is not just information. It is a person. I am applying that person to my reality, and either it or me is going to change. Regardless, people are going to see something, a treasure coming out of me that allows them to know how they need to go through their stuff. And so he ends it by saying this, as the psalmist has written, I believe, therefore I spoke. I believe, therefore I spoke. Taken from Psalm 116, verse 10, where the psalmist is in the same position, going through difficulty. My friends left me. My life is a wreck. I don't know what to do. But I believed when I said I was greatly afflicted. I believed. When I said I was greatly afflicted. That's Psalm 116, Psalm 116, verse 10. Paul lifts that into his present circumstances and says, as it is written, I believed, therefore I spoke. There are a lot of Christians who are believers, but they don't believe. They believe they're going to heaven. They believe Jesus loves them. They believe God sent his son to die the whole works. 
But when it comes to the everyday circumstances of their life, they don't believe. And so when they talk about their circumstances, all they're doing is complaining. Talking about facts without any truth. So, little advice. If you don't believe as a believer, don't talk. Because you aren't glorifying God. You're glorifying your circumstances. And you're only reconfirming in your own soul how difficult life is. And that, at least experientially, without him. Theologically, you know he hadn't left you. It's just your faith won't kick in. Your belief system won't allow you to engage your, 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 your tangible faith to say, I know he is with me. Again, not trying to deny the circumstances through which you're going, but just adding the truth about your circumstances to what you say. Sometimes stuff hits me, just like you. So I get a little, little, little peek it, little peek it. You're dealing with some flu or cold or something. And people will say, Pastor, how you doing? You look a little tired. I'm overcoming. Overcoming. I could say, I like, feel like a Mack truck hit me, bro. Mack truck. Just, oh, I just feel so tired. Aches and pains all over my body. My, my head is pounding. My eyes just want to pop out of my head. I just feel terrible. <laughs> terrible. Te- terrible. I, and that's, that's most of humanity. But I don't allow my soul to gravitate toward just the facts. I want you to know I'm overcoming every day of my life. I'm pulling myself up by faith, believing that God is going to heal me. That's what I'm trusting for, that I'm not going to have, have to miss a day where I can't serve you because the enemy hit me with the flu. Now, that's what I'm believing for. I'm going to navigate around this. If I have to go through three weeks of of difficulty, ah, I can endure. But every day I'm going to believe that my God is able to either make me better through it or change the circumstance itself. If, if, if you don't believe, you aren't spiritually qualified to speak about your circumstances well. Paul said, I believe. Therefore, I was able to talk like this to you. Perplexed, but not in despair. Afflicted, not crushed. Persecuted, not abandoned. Struck down, not destroyed. Always carrying about the dying of Jesus. Why? So that the treasure might be seen by you. So that death works in me. But every time I go through something like this, it's painful. All of a sudden, more life gets in you. You see something you hadn't seen before. The world is waiting to see the life of Jesus in you. Don't let them find themselves clouded by the other stuff. And if you can't speak well, if you don't believe, shut up. 